Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm speaking with a longtime friend and dear colleague, Valeria Solomonov. Valeria is an award-winning choreographer born in Argentina and based in New York City. She has choreographed for Broadway, films, plays, the circus, and created her own shows as well. I know her because she is the founder of Tango Mujer Dance Company, a group I was fortunate to be a part of for several years. She is also a resident fellow at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU, a research associate at the Partnering Lab at Harvard University, and a tango professor in the NYU Tisch Drama Department. Valeria is a wide-ranging innovator who uses her tango roots to to reimagine new possibilities of partnering. I am so pleased to have her today. Valeria, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sharon. I'm so happy to be with you here. Valeria, you posed a great question to me the other day on the topic of leading and following, and I thought that might be an interesting place to kick off our conversation. This was your question. Are leading and following roles inherently equal or unequal, or do we choose to make them that way? I'm wondering how you came to be asking yourself this question and whether you have any thoughts on it today. Yes, um, for me, it's a very like question that is alive in me. And I came to ask that because, of course, leading and following is rooted in a historical understanding or an assignment of what we have historically made as feminine and masculine culturally. And, and since the question of the roles is also related to the question of men and women in a way. Um, but in particular for me, it's also through my practice uh, because Doing both roles has been so important and also exploring each role deeply has been so important. I wonder about the intrinsic or extrinsic power assigned to each role. And um, my answer today, and I can explain more as we go together into this, is that I think the, the power is an extrinsic uh, situation respect to the roles. The main confusion is that we know more about leading than we know about follower. So more than the roles are unequal, what happens is that followers usually don't own their agency, their possibilities enough because we are less aware of what we provide, what we bring to the table. It's more difficult to define what a follower brings to the table because our culture has less, has inquired less into that, has less curiosity for that. Until recently now, I think there's much more curiosity, but I think for me, for almost millions of years, so a very, a very long time, for more than hundreds of years, for at least a thousand years, uh, we have learned more about the leader aspect of the relationship 
uh, and I'm talking beyond the dance, of course, because the dance is not so old. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, the mystery of following, like, well, that's a big topic. Let's pause there. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, very, very interesting. I, too, feel like there's a huge gap in what we understand about following in the wider world. And of course, as you'd mentioned, it is a little bit of a map onto masculine and feminine. And we know how much, at least Western societies, perhaps beyond that, have emphasized the masculine and the leader persona. So it doesn't surprise me that still it's a bit of a mystery. And the more we learn, the more we understand what agency is within the follower role. I want to ask you about your early experience of following, because I know you and I have some similar experiences around this, and I think it's it's very interesting for people to to make a parallel between dance and life in that way. Can you tell Can you tell us a little about your first response to the the follower role within tango and how how that was for you at first? So I. I... I had a lot of ambivalence. Um, when I was in Argentina, I was studying dance. I was studying philosophy. Um, I was so at university age, right? And and I started to do tango. And one of the things that attracted me to tango was the nightlife and this ghetto type of culture. Uh, it was the early 90s, so... Tango was not, uh, there were no milongas openly. I started in Rosario, and in Rosario there were places to dance that were like totally underground, and it was an elder community, like it wasn't a young community. It was a mixed community. There were elder people, and then there were some young, but not, not my age young. It was like older than me. But um, but that's part of the history of Argentina and what happened to tango, etc. But, but then... Then I went to Buenos Aires, and the, the scene there was bigger. And I was attracted and appalled by it at the same time. So, and part of my reaction had to do with some comments and and also with my age and how I was trying to figure out my place in society and how I was trying to embody or disembody certain qualities that I think now that we know about gender more than we did before had a lot to do with with having my own take on what was for me to be a woman and so there was like for instance i would get a comment that i if i i remember getting a comment in the street one day i was really young and i had a mini skirt and it was like you know when you are beginning to use mini skirts and you start to feel aware that you call attention. And I was very nervous in the street. And I remember that somebody told me, well, if you don't want to get things said to you, you shouldn't use that mini skirt. And it was so aggressive. And in that, in those lines, also the tango scene, I remember hearing comments like about what I was wearing or I wasn't wearing. And that really put me off. At the same time that the whole situation, I knew there was something very interested, interesting and real and rough and and wild that I wanted to research more. But it wasn't until I came to New York and I was trying to make a, a piece for my dance assignment that I came back to 
tango in a way that was more authentic. So it took me to go away from Argentina to feel what was authentic for me. And the way it was, I felt it is like I felt a curiosity to what this is because I didn't feel it was assigned for me. Like I could figure it out on, on my terms. And part of that was the experience of seeing, of meeting Rebecca and Daniel Trenner and seeing them dance and, and seeing an aesthetic that was not the one that I was most accustomed. I want to share another story from our personal history because it, it's such a, a great mirror. I had also a real ambivalence about tango when I first encountered it. And maybe you'll agree with this. I, I had a reaction to the the stereotypes of the the roles as gender roles, right? Even the idea that well, women follow and men lead and women dress a certain way and men dress another way or, you know, there were kind of a lot of affects. And I, I sometimes think of tango as a kind of theater because it's this opportunity to try on different forms of masculinity and femininity. And I think a lot of that is healthy. But in the late 90s, when I first experienced tango, there was a lot of this kind of stereotype way of acting around the follower feminine role. And I was not into that at all. I didn't want to wear dresses. I didn't want to even wear high heels. You know, at, at first I'd gone to a, a very feminist university and I just, I loved the dance, but it didn't really, it, this sort of aspect of stereotypical gender roles kind of put me off. So a couple weeks into my dance experience, a friend of mine said, I know you're you know, not sure about tango, but come anyway. There's there's a performance you should see. And I thought, all right, fine. You know, I'll go. And the performance that night was you, Valeria Salamanov, <laughs> with Daniel Trenner, who you mentioned, who's also a teacher of mine and someone who promoted the study of both roles and was was very important to me in my early training. And Valeria and Daniel performed the exchange of lead and follow. This is this is where the the two partners change roles. They change leading and following throughout the dance. And this was remember just a couple of weeks into my tango experience and it completely blew my mind open and I saw the dance in a completely different way. It was like the universe tilted, you know, my my <laughs> neurons connected in new ways and I thought okay, now I need to learn this. I need to learn this and understand what what is in this dynamic, right, of of power sharing, because that's what I saw, you know, at, at that moment. So, yeah, I, I, exactly. No, I had the same, so exactly the same experience. Like, in my family, uh, they couldn't understand why I studied tango and, and why I pursued it when I came here. Cause I was not the person, like even my friends in Argentina, they thought it was a joke because I was the most remote person they could think of that I would end up being a tango dancer because they associated tango with a certain image. And that happened to me too. I was associating that with the stockings, the heels, the red lipstick and I don't know, the hat, the compadrito. And that's the thing that I, I spent my entire life uh, claiming for myself the enjoyment that I was able to fulfill through tango as 
a legitimate tango experience, but not a tango experience that has to do with that aesthetic. So it's the tango experience that I was able to create for myself and that I'm very happy that now is open to a large community because now things have really changed, uh, is a tango experience of connection, of understanding roles as, as a model of things that you could put on and off and you can take elements of each and you can have your own take on it. And the thing that is interesting to me is that that this is not this is new but it's not new it's built within the dance and it has been built from the very beginning it's just that i don't know when all this mysticism all these these stereotypical looks have been adding on so strongly and i believe it has to do something with the colonization of tango and the re the taking again tango from a, even as an Argentine from a colonized view, because it is like, I think it has more to do with the Ford export that went so well, that sold so many tickets that created such a shock, a cultural shock that it surviving the imagination in this very stereotypical way, but that it has is far from the experience you have in the dance floor when you are when you're in arms with somebody else, what are you going to, I mean, I don't know. I think it, because it's such an intimate dance, there's so much room to make it your own. Absolutely. Very well said. And I think you're right on with the root of that stereotypical expression being wrapped up with colonialism, capitalism. And for those interested in this theme, I would refer listeners to, uh, the work of Marta Sevillano on tango. And I want to also mention that as you're as you're talking and describing how the releasing of those stereotypes gave rise to a greater range of experience, a more authentic experience of dancing for not only yourself, but for, for many people. I mean, I certainly had that experience that once I got past that stereotypical image of what the woman was supposed to be, then the whole tango opened for me, right? And it, 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 you know, it gave me so much wisdom and so much joy. And I feel like there's a really strong parallel here in the wider society. Because when I talk to people outside dance about followership, they have a very similar response. Oh, I don't want to be a follower. That's the weak and passive role. And, you know, that's something that we've learned culturally for for decades now, maybe longer. But once they get past that and realize, oh, following is actually this tremendous place of support. It's a place I can get into flow. It's a place I can have a really strong contribution to my job, my team, my relationship, whatever it is, then it then it's it's a very similar experience where the dance opened for me and like the relationship or the the work experience opens for them. You know, so I'm that's one reason I'm so interested in having these conversations because I think once we kind of let go those cultural stereotypes, you know, whether it's a gender stereotype as it is in dance or more of a a, a work you know, mainstream stereotype like it is in the professional world, then we just get so much more access to being, you know, ourselves and to making a strong relationships. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so I think that also the the reason 
I see it like when we talked in the beginning, you asked me about, you, you remind me my own question about the roles and the intrinsic power or uh, imbalance or not. Um, I believe it's very much like a paradigm, which paradigm you are making the roles function. If you're making them in a, if you have them in a hierarchical paradigm or if you have it in a collaborative one. And, and the thing that following is the key, in my opinion, to, to collaboration. Is the, is, so both roles, I see them as archetypes where you have a first definition, but as soon as you start to learn more about each role, you know that each role contains elements of the other, like the yin and yang, right? So you, let's say you start, when you teach, right? You teach the follower. The first thing that you teach is attitudinal. I don't know how to say that word. Sharna, help. It's attitude, right? You help, you, you, you teach mainly equality, how to be on your axis, and how to provide the following, how to, how to give the gift of following by, by learning the place in which you are, centering yourself and allowing not knowing, allowing this place of not knowing to be comfortable there, to be comfortable that maybe you do a mistake, but you are not, your mistake is, the main mistake is not being able to share, right? The, the, the main mistake in the dance, in my opinion, is to, is to not know how to share, <laughs> uh, because any mistake is part of the dance and it's easy to make it part of the dance. And that's why it's so important sometimes to learn both roles because as you lead, you, that's one of the main takeaways is that every step can be a step of the dance and there's no, every, every mistake is an opportunity. So once you get to know that, it's also good for followers to know that in, in embody that knowledge and that's why it's so beneficial for the followers to learn to lead because then they can begin to relax uh, from a, from that place of knowing there's no mistake except the inability to share. And so I, I was just saying the roles, right, have a beginning, a, a place to start. And the follower is more the attitude while the leader is more the plan, the choreography. And so the information that the leader has to have is more tango-specific, so the leader needs to have a training on tango specific if the leader wants to dance tango. Otherwise, we'll dance another form, but it's okay too. It was just leave that other form. But but the, that's why we take a little longer in preparing the leaders because the followers can be prepared from many things. Like you have followers that are, that are wonderful dancers because they are wonderful dancers because they have such a good quality in their movements, because they have such a great sense of access, because they have such a great attitude, they have such such musicality. So it's less tango-specific in the sense that the, the learning process of the follower is more difficult to determine how long it's going to take. I'm being very practical here. As a teacher, I don't know how long it's going to take me to develop a great follower. As a leader, I have more of an idea because I have more of an idea of how much information I have to pass. While the kind of preparation for the follower, yes, it has information, but it's more like a, a state of being. A lot will be provided by who that person is, what other possibilities and aptitudes that person has. 
Um, of course, I'm making very bland generalizations, but this was coming because you were talking about following. And so I, 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 this is how I'm relating it. We are only recently paying massive attention to collaboration, even in education, we're paying very good attention to how people are in relating to others. This is not so old. We spend so much more time creating leaders, creating people who were in charge and, you know, and demonstrated a assertive capacity to decide this or that. I love that you brought this into your teaching because you're also a really accomplished teacher and for decades have been exploring this material with students. I wonder how you see the focus on relating and collaboration, not necessarily in the dance itself, but in your relationship with your students, right? When you're in the teacher role, could you reflect on that a little bit? I am, I am always, I always been interested in teaching beginners. Um, I think I'm a better teacher for beginners than I am. Well, I have a, I have a fascination with teaching beginners. Uh, and I think in that has to do a little bit with my fascination with following because beginners, yes, I leave the class, but they are the ones who provide me the opportunity to see, to see things new. Um, and in that sense, I think I'm following them. Like I am, I am thankful that I can see through the eyes, through their eyes, again, the foundation. And so they help me discover while maybe years ago, I was more concerned with myself. Can I give enough? Do I know enough? You know, and so maybe I liked more to give, to, pro to prove myself that I could give information. <laughs> Nowadays, I'm like, no, it's better. The question, I, I really like a, a teacher of mine, Irene Dowd. Irene Dowd is, I took some classes of her, and she, but she said something that stuck in my brain. And she said that a good teacher is, should not be very generous. <laughs> and she made us laugh, of course. She said it ironically. But what she meant, I understood what she meant because she's a great teacher and she is very generous. But what she meant is that don't give unless they're asking. You know, like set the class in a way that the students ask the right questions and that's the way you give. But you don't give by giving a process meal. You know, you give by by making the the students need the answers that they they have to search for. Um, create the scenario, create the situation. So much of good teaching is providing a situation. Yeah, I, I love that. And it, it also makes me reflect on my own teaching, you know, and that transition I think many of us make between giving information and feeling like, you know, you, you kind of need to prove your worth as a teacher to really observing your student and taking a step back and asking, okay, well, what, what do they need right now? You know, what's, what's the thing they're ready for? And I think for myself also, as I became less, less attached or less, less worried about proving myself that 
I became, well, a much better teacher, obviously, and more focused, as you're saying, on what's the framing, you know, and that's something I do think of as a really strong leader skill is, is that ability to just frame, right, and create a, a loose structure for the students, you know, in their follower role to be a little bit more independent in their learning. Yeah, I have to add to this because um, I wanted to, just last week, uh, I was thinking of you, Sharna, because we we talk about maybe starting uh, this conversation together. And last week I was working with my students since now is is in person, but it's blended. So some of them are remote, therefore, and also when the ones in person can touch. So I had to change my tango curriculum 180 degrees because now we're doing tango without touching. Um, and we are doing tango, which is the funny thing. And I can talk more about it later. But but what I want to bring is that we were work, working on gender because we're starting a process of um, developing choreography based on different identities and and anyway so I was asking them their notion of feminine and masculine and one of my students and this is something I want to bring because we're talking so much about following but we have to understand also what what's going on today because one of my students was so fantastic in the answer he said I because when I ask about following and Oh, no, sorry. I asked about feminine. When I asked about feminine, words were coming right and left among them, you know, like, and very varied words, like power and grace and, you know, like very, lots of colors of words. When I asked about masculine, nobody knew what to say. It did not surprise me. It surprised everybody. <laughs> I said it surprised me some, but it was surprising how we were out of words. And after a big silence, the student said, I spent so much time defining what was not masculine for me, deconstructing masculinity, disattaching from ideas of masculinity, that now that you ask, I don't know what to answer. And I think that was really profound, really profound. And I feel it. I feel it's really interesting that we are so so much denouncing the the law of the father, the paternalistic situation in which we are, the patriarchy, and then we are ripping off this, the lead also, out of creativity, out of integrity, you know? It makes me remember that as we're redefining following and femininity, we, we, that that action of redefinition automatically forces us to redefine the masculine and the leader as well. So you can't just change one, right? Because they're like two sides of a coin, right? Wherever you have leading, you have following. Wherever you have feminine, you have masculine somehow, right? In some, in some configuration. And so as we dive more into redefining femininity and and the follower role immediately, right? We there's going to be a change on the other side, and I think we haven't realized that as much. Um, but that's also for me really exciting because it's this you know space of emerging possibility. So it's sometimes when I find myself in the leader role, like stepping so far back and becoming so much more 
minimal and focused, I wonder, are are we kind of discovering maybe a new way to embody the leader role, right? That's less controlling, less information-based, you know, more elegant, more minimal, but not in a minimizing sense, like more in the sense of less less effort. I I think so. I think so, Sharna. And I think so. Uh, I think what we are revealing against is the... We're trying to be more authentic. We're not doing something too new. We're just looking for ways that, that people can have more license to find their own take. Um, because if I even... So I had the luck to be dancing for a long time. And I think sometimes back, I'm very cautious with this idea that we are... I'm very cautious with how I, I revise tradition because I also honor tradition. And, I, and I have, I'm and i old enough that I can say I've danced with people who had a traditional type of aesthetic maybe, or, or but at the same time I dance with them and and it's and and they, and they they were very modern if you may if you say that like some guys if i if i could say this way the the guys who were like looking like these much super manly dancers that everybody wanted to dance with that when you dance with them they were so delicate and so careful and they made you feel such a queen because they had so much attention in every detail and su- such softness in the embrace and a way to wait for you and a way to provide a space that you felt like completely uh, and, and uh, raised up, enthralled, no, I don't know what's the word, but enaltecido, like you felt like put in a place that it was uplifted in a in a almost like a, in a visceral way, you know, like you felt like taking such care. And that was, this was not people who were trying to do new things. They were dancing like their grandparents taught them, you know, so it's not like, so yes, it's you, our take, but this is, this being around is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I hear you. I hear that. And I think it's a really important point. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, I think sometimes when I think new, it's like within my own experience, you know, like I inher- I inherited certain things, certain assumptions. And for me, it feels new, but it's, as you're saying, really not new. But I but I also agree with you, Sharna, because I also feel it's new. It's new in the way we kind of talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's new in that way. That is not. So I also feel that's why I feel the my question about is inherent to the rules, this power imbalance or is something culturally assigned um not to deny the history so i wouldn't deny that in the history of argentina i wouldn't deny that in the history of tango there is sexism there has been abused but i but it's more complicated than than what this that is complicated even the image of a macho is a complicated one Mm -hmm. like the women also that that stood up to those matches are very complicated too. So I think the question is more like, what do you, what are you after? Are you after, do you feel enjoyment from a sense of control, from a sense of 
hierarchical sense that you get you gain something over somebody or do you are you able to feel enjoyment from sharing from being open and vulnerable to each other and that's really the the key question to me absolutely and i feel like there's a again a strong parallel there in say a work environment or a community environment where perhaps what's it rather than asking where's the pleasure we could ask what's appropriate you know, so in other words, there there are definitely situations where we need a hierarchical organization. We need someone to be in charge and to make decisions. And then there are other moments, maybe in that same team, where we need to be more egalitarian and more circular in our conversation, you know, in order to discover the best ideas or so forth and, and so forth. So I love that uh, we're kind of arriving at this question with a both and, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not like one or the other, but that it, it's context dependent. Like sometimes it's okay to be you know, in a hierarchy if everyone agrees to that and recognizes that it's needed. And then it's also equally valid and important to be able to shift into this more complementary state where leading and following roles are more side by side. Valeria, I want to really thank you for sharing all of these amazing insights with us today. And I want to ask you one more question. If listeners want to bring followership into their life or start paying attention to it more, even if they're not dancers, what would you recommend that they do or start to notice? Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is that active listening is needs to be valued because it's very generative and it can even be transformative. And so I think of active listening uh, as opposed to just it's not a place that is empty or neutral or non, not subjective. It is a place that is subjective. And so is the meeting, is how you meet the other, just valuing that reception because that reception has transformative power. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And please uh, tell us how we can connect with you, what you're working on now, and where uh, where the best places to find your work. My website is also the name of my company, Vale Tango, but it's Vale like Valeria, so it's with short V. And you will see that I'm working on a show, on a new show called Trust Me, Trust Me Not, which will premiere soon. And it's about the importance and the fragility of trust, that it incorporates the distrust experience and the longing for togetherness. And the show is based in tango, but it's not, it's not easily readable as tango. Basically, we've been improvising with the structure of tango, but incorporated modern dance theater um, aspects to it. And other than that, I'm also working on Broadway tango, which is a style I'm teaching and is adapting tango to the Broadway stage. And so that's more like really the elements of the vocabulary, how to do it also in solo form, virtually, etc. And that's also a website on its own and is B-Way, like Broadway, B, like boy, waytango.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm so curious to follow this new project of yours. It, it sounds really beautiful and evocative. I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes. So I encourage you to get a little bit more of Valeria in your life and learn more about her work. And thank you once again for being here. 
I look forward to more conversation in the future. Me too, Shabna. Thank you so much for inviting me. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.